0: time to have another casual Thursday podcast and just discuss management science and tools and applications that you can immediately use in your business or your life. Today, I'm quite excited about the topic of conversation. It has to do with the backstory of Apollo 13. For those of you who might not have been alive in 1970, Apollo 13 was a space mission, the third landing to go to the moon, and they had an explosion on the way there. Hey, we've had a problem here. It turned out to be quite lucky that the explosion happened uh, after they had already docked with the LM, or the Lunar Excursion Module. In other words, they would get into Earth orbit and sometime shortly thereafter, they would actually take the command module and its mechanism that had the engine on it and maneuver and actually meet and hook up with a lunar excursion module called the LEM. So that combination would then fly all the way to the moon. So they had completed that part when this explosion happened in the thrusting part of the command module which really led to a plethora of other events that happened. As a source, I'm using about an hour and a half video from the NASA archives where one of their facility administrators of their displays open to the public for the 50th anniversary of the 1970 issue of Apollo 13 interviewed three of the technicians and engineers and technical operations people that were actually on the ground in Houston or Cape Canaveral when this went down. And it's really quite interesting. They take a real hard look at what kind of organization, what kind of management principles, what kind of procedures led to what is termed as the successful failure. The most successful failure, there is an argument apparently going on in the realm of space travel, whether the landing on the moon or getting these three astronauts back alive is the greatest feat so far in space. But what can we learn from this? And as I took a listen to this and actually read some other articles on it, some very interesting principles, which resonate with me in my four decades of experience, start to show up. First of all, it's quite evident that the basis of the save, if you will, with Apollo 13, was foundationally rooted in their simulations, and they refer to it short as SIM. Their sim after some initial training is the primary training that they use to prepare for multiple scenarios. As you listen to them discuss these elements, and these three names are Mr. Reeves, Mr. Moon, and Mr. Stovall. They're really interesting guys. I think their first names are all Bill and they're in different aspects of mission control and how that all goes down. They were essentially on the ground operators. What's interesting is two of the three guys are in power and electrical systems, not even in or near the famous air filter for the carbon dioxide, which was essentially contaminating the atmosphere, which the three astronauts were trying to live in. These guys really had bigger issues. The explosion popped a tank and started to gas out to space all of their oxygen. And this actually showed up on cameras back at Mission Control. And according to these guys, it was a good hour before they had some very important action plans in place. What's amazing, however, is the amount of catastrophic failures that were driven from that explosion. I won't try to go into all of them, but one of the very remarkable things Is one of the fellows in operations on the council actually thought his council was failing because so many red lights were going off at once? It turns out they were all legit, the council was working fine, and the fellow had to gather himself and was part of the solution to decide what to go to do going forward. Certainly wasn't alone, but it's a really interesting position to imagine yourself. in. if you had a catastrophic thing happen at work, which is really what we're trying to do here, we're trying to understand how we can pull out of this story, actionable management methodology, procedures, knowledge, skills, and disciplines that we might be able to implement at our businesses or in our careers, if we work for another company, again, What that might be, that catastrophic failure compared to what you might have gone through is an interesting thing to think about. I mean, what is that? In the mining business, which is very dangerous, fatalities happen. That's a catastrophic failure that can really put a wrench besides the obvious tragedy involved and emotion and personal fallout from that into procedures and results. Other examples might be a major well-funded competitor entering your niche. It might be force majeure issue like a tornado comes through. It might be a key employee leaves and you don't have their intellectual capital documented in sound procedures and training modules. There's just a plethora of things we can imagine as managers, business owners, fit professionals out there in the workforce that we might have to react to. So again, at NASA, all three of these guys constantly refer back to their training as what got them through this. And the training is really interesting to look at. They give bits and pieces. I can only imagine the breadth of procedure, of expertise, of systems that capture what they do, but we can really ascertain from their descriptions, what's going on, at least at a high level position and learn from it. So first thing in training, and they didn't talk about it this way, but later in the conversation, how do they assess the team? What do they do with somebody who comes in? How do they find people that can put up with this immense pressure? That was actually the question. It's a really good question. If you're running astronauts to the moon and you have a catastrophic you got to be able to stay all the way into what's going on there all the way focused and all three of these fellows talked substantially about their simulations it's pretty obvious that the simulation personnel are separate from the operations personnel they're off truly brainstorming in a separate circumstance, completely oblivious to the operations person, what kind of curveballs they're gonna throw at the ops when they're running simulations. And they do this over and over and over. They did not discuss the percentage of time, but based on just their body language and voice inflection and emotion in their face, The simulations were unbelievably challenging. And there was besides hiring people that can get this, let's get back to that. Very briefly what they said, one of the guys talked about his story and he has personal circumstance with the hiring manager who knew about his personal attributes, being able to take high pressure situations. So that's the number one thing they do is they very well define The through understanding of the roles, the pressure, the circumstance the individual is going to be in, what type of person they need on their team. That's number one. It sounds like good management, but how many of us really have that laid out there in spades, super, super well-defined, and then have experience to completely understand what that operational standard is. All of those things come into play with the managers. And the way they go through this is in their respective roles, they do simulations. They go through before they're promoted to a team lead, understanding this. This is where NASA can be different from what we all experience because in large organizations, we can't do every job. NASA has the interest, the pull, if you will, another big thing in hiring people. It's clear what NASA does. When you go to work for NASA, You as an individual are going to be really jacked up about your support role in space, space travel, discovering new frontiers, research for humanity, all those kind of big lofty ideas, just fuel your passions and you show up ready to work for your part. And you have a personal focus on making sure you keep the very best expertise. They talked about this constant training. And the training also evolves. That was a big discussion through the simulation, the training evolves through the simulation, the training also forces failure. The simulation group comes up with items that are brand new, that the operations team has not run into before. So back to the hiring process they all talked about the fact that the simulations were where the pressure was because they did not want to fail in the simulation. They wanted to prevail in the simulation. And so that was where they really had the grit and the drive. And one of them described it as a credo of never quitting, which happened the minute after you started working there that personal match, if they knew somebody, they'd bring them in, otherwise they'd bring them in, make sure they were technically competent and start to run them through simulations uh, when they reached the right level of understanding procedures and kind of baseline training. And they talked about the fact that many, many people would not prevail in the training. They would, to use their term, wash out. So right in the culture was the fact that you could wash out But there wasn't really shame associated with that. In my intensity multiplier principles, I talk about the depth chart player, NASA's like this. They have teams that support people on the control floor, at least back in 1970. And this evolves through every failure to adjust procedure, to find skill gaps, to nail competencies, And you go back through that. So if you don't make the operations team who are charged with solving the problem, all others are separate. There's an engineering, so think support system that is available to the people solving problems. So if they come up with a, what if, if they need particular expertise, if they need a question answered, they have support teams that you don't see on television on that floor. In facilities around them with resources, and then sometimes that's tiered even to more resources, including external to NASA. That's one of the fundamentals is the people are hired either with verifiable attributes on a personal basis with somebody already in the organization, or they bring them in, get baseline training in, and then put them through simulations to make sure they can handle the high stress environment. And although most of us in business aren't sending people to the moon, uh, some of us are like SpaceX and Virgin Airlines and the rest, but most of us aren't in that kind of high stakes environment. But what we do actually has consequence. We must produce margin to continue into the future. So, all right. So that's one thing is hire the right people or have processes immediately beyond hire that couple training with the requirement. But there's something else here, management understands this performance standard. So anyway, those are two things. Now we can pull out and put our own version of that into our organizations, but it goes more than this, the majority of what those guys refer to. And of course, I'm understanding that I didn't get to see everything inside Pandora's box. But based on what they said at the center of what they do is this simulation. The SIMS, the SIMS drive failure, failure drives changes in procedures. They actually use the term rules. And what that makes sense to me, they did not discuss it, but in the higher the stake situation, the shorter amount of lead time that you have, the closer you have to get to a rule. And what does a rule do besides? Remember they said that the simulations are harder. If you have rules and procedures that make sense with the mission's objective in mind, That actually quickens the action and eliminates the need to discuss that particular aspect. Again, the simulation is the center of the process. Baseline training happens so that the employee, in this case, the team member at NASA, is prepared to react to whatever the simulation throws at them. Through the simulation, they prove if they're ready for a different role, which is high pressure, essentially think high pressure problem solver. Well, isn't that what we all are as professionals? How does that translate into what we're doing? So one of the takeaways today is I want you to think about deliberate practice. We've talked about that as fit professionals. My mountain bike, deliberate practice. If I actually want to do better off the start in a mass start where that first five or 10 minutes is, really fast over your FTP threshold work, which you cyclists will know what that is, but balls out going fast, you want to make sure those first couple of pedal strokes make sense. And I have missed getting clipped in and all of a sudden you are five and then 10 bike lengths behind and that's hard to make up. Well, in the real world, when we're out there, maybe trying to talk to a customer, maybe you have a service provider, Do deliberate practice, create the procedures. Some people will write out a script. Scripts are dangerous. You don't want your people to come across like they're reading from it, but they cover the basics. So deliberate practice can work into so many different things. For instance, if you have someone writing estimates in your estimating department, you can have a bunch of case studies that they can go through and prove that they understand the rules on, including some SIMs. You can put little twists and turns in there that might not be readily apparent in whatever their reference documents or initial training are. So you can see them actually process what needs to be done and think about it. So that's one takeaway we want to get already from what's going on at NASA is how powerful deliberate practice is. And in, in our businesses, most of us don't do that. I actually have it with my business development team. I have it with my operators. And even though we do execute, I'm motivating myself right now to go execute better. I know we are nowhere near, not even 1% to what NASA does on their training simulation with things going wrong on different parts of their mission. In the back of my mind right now, I'm thinking my sales training modules. And we have just excellent feedback from a plethora of authors that to contact me, I'll be happy to share with you regarding overcoming objections, how to get past gatekeepers. And and they're not really cheesy. I shouldn't say they aren't at all. They're just good technique and they can be role-played in practice. And I know for a fact that I just don't have my business development team going over and over and over and over. I mean, you can't write that down enough times in relation to NASA. And they were able to have this catastrophic Blow up, which led to a whole bunch of other problems, including the air filter that failed. An example of what will really work to help push you through that. So let's take that one away. Deliberate practice through simulation. Think about what that can be for your business. I'd be happy to brainstorm with you if you contact me. So, what else do they do? They actually use that failure to adjust their rule. And So that implies written documents. And actually if you go spend some time out there taking a look at Apollo 13, you're gonna see an unbelievable amount of public record that's play-by-play and documentation of what happened pre-explosion, post-explosion. And it becomes the basis for which they make the procedural change on. One thing that really impressed me is Reeves and Moon and Stovall that were in this video that's in the archives talked about after they had successfully got through the Apollo 13 debacle with a picture that I'll probably insert here of the astronaut successfully coming out of the capsule and then getting cleaned up and through protocol on the aircraft carrier. I think it was Mr. Moon said, we had a couple of beers and then we we're back doing sims. Because they also talked about their success on Apollo's after that. There was three, I can't remember the exact numbers, 14, 15, 16, 17, but there was three more missions that there was incredible innovation and continued changing of the procedures and the rules, which further enabled the operations staff during the mission to really come through this. One other thing that's really interesting in the Apollo 13 issue is how these three guys who were not directly involved with the filter fix that's in the movie discussed the pivotal role that the three astronauts on board had in that problem-solving solution. And one thing, another takeaway is coming up here, and that is they all talked about the conversations would happen with the different teams, and they were open to 100% of the other relevant teams who through protocol, procedure, and rules could speak up at any time to object, add to, question. And they had this figured out in their systems so that it wasn't some kind of an emotional argument, although I'm sure it was emotionally charged that time. I wasn't there. You could see it in these guys' faces. I mean, after all, you're trying to save lives, but they could hear everything all the time. So communication was unbelievable. The dissemination of of information, consider it as frictionless as possible for the technology of the 1970s. And how many of us in our organizations do that? I'm quite sure in my future margin max memos and in my blogs and in future podcasts, I'll be talking about appropriate information dissemination. It's really interesting in a high stakes, really no time that you would want available information is just open to everybody. So I think it's worth considering minimally that having people on the loop is a really good idea, but it's not a free for all. It's not a collaboration. I'm going to talk about that particular term. There's been huge drift in the definition of collaboration. In fact, I think in management science, much of what did work over the years has drifted and been massaged in a way that it's almost valueless now. And collaboration is kind of what I'm saying here. They didn't have time to collaborate. They had rules. They had decision rules, they had a hierarchy. They had team leaders all the way up to mission control or the flight director, as I understand it, was one of the top dogs making calls. And decisions would be made. Things would be presented timely in a way that made sense with the decision horizon and they would make it and they'd move on to the next one. So that's another one, dissemination of information. And we also have engagement rules in conversation or if you wanna use the 21st century rule, collaboration. There's rules there to move it forward rather than some free for all. Here's another one takeaway is each person in the three of these gentlemen did discuss that everybody understood their role and they took great pride in the role and they did what they needed to keep themselves up to date and effective at their role. NASA was all over that with the training in the sims to help skills, knowledge and discipline and also think about what's happening in those sims. Everybody down line is involved. So the operators when they're going through sims can call out to the support team in the engineering department. Well, that requires a support team in the engineering department, really quite a depth chart player in the sports analogy, relative to the actual flight crew up in the command module or in the LEM trying to get back to earth. They have a system to get that in. And they also have a responsibility to stay competent and to be able to bring their expertise. They also talked about how the expertise was deep but the system in the organization created a breadth of capability. And I am not by any means in this entire podcast suggesting that this is some newfangled thing or management science that we all should implement. I think you need to think about what works for what you do because we are not NASA. You are not NASA. And how can we actually bring this or elements of it, even one thing into what we're doing and make it work. So I wanna just remind the listener, that's what we're doing here as we go through this and pull out some of these takeaways. There's process for even input. There's also process to capture the decision based on SIM forcing a failure. Because if the SIM forces a failure, your decision rules aren't working, Your core competences aren't working. You might have a skill, knowledge, or discipline gap. So you have to fill that gap. And what's interesting is it's a cycle. You do the SIM, you fail, and then you update both your operations team that's going to make the live on the floor decisions, plus all the support systems. And that gets captured. That gets captured in procedures. And this I'm not privy to. I bet if you dug, In the archives of NASA, you could probably get a little bit of a hint for that. What I can tell you, we do is we have training modules that actually double as procedures. They are supposed to be living documents. And honestly, if we up our frequency of deliberate practice or SIM, that's going to increase the frequency for upgrades to those training modules so we can propagate that through all the resources in our organization. So that is just a really neat reminder of something. Most of us learned in one way or another, or at least partially in management school, maybe from our existing organizations. Maybe if you're in the military, maybe if you're pursuing an athletic pursuit, we learn these organizational things. We learn this cause and effect, but how many of us really drive it? There's a nice correlation in your physicality and the fit professional thing that you do. That's hard. Again, I'll use my mountain biking example. The training or simulation, you go out and you do a little mock race and there's, or, there's obstacles and there's also the respiratory systems, all the systems in your body, you're trying to train for that particular race. And you put it through that simulation and in some places you have success, in some places you have failure and you decide what you can control, what you can then go ahead and deliberately practice or train aka SIM, in order to improve the result the next time. So it works for us in athletics. It works for us in organizations. It works for us on our team. And it's really a good reminder that when taken seriously and truly incorporated into procedures, rules, training, and SIMs, deliberate practice, we can enhance our organizational outcome. Okay, another issue I'm still on the management portion of this because Mr. Reeves, Moon, and Stovall all were very complimentary of their management. And they would use management and leadership almost as synonyms when they were discussing it. And they would then quickly fall back into procedure and the way the management facilitated the problem solving. One of the things management did very early on, remember the comment about the council just all lit up, is the management very early on realized they had to get organized, and what they did is they decided what project teams they needed on their resources. So they had the command floor where we see on TV with the screens, and then they had these support groups with team leaders and the right resources assigned. A very interesting trivia bit is that This actually happened almost simultaneously with a shift change at NASA. Remember they had to monitor the space flight 24 seven. So these guys would change shifts. And of course, everybody wants to be part of the solution. And they referred to the fact, they didn't use exactly these words, but they implied if you watch the video through their comments that there would have been just mass chaos and disorganization. Everybody wants to help. It's all good intention but it's not organized and they were very complimentary of both their procedure and their managers slash leadership's ability to execute those procedures in order to organize the resources back within what they had practiced in order to get to the problem-solving mode. And it's quite impressive. The best I can tell from the interview is this was under an hour and the whole time Oxygen was squirting out of the tank. They hadn't had a solution yet. And I haven't done enough resources to find out exactly when that timing was, but I find it absolutely amazing that they paused to really get organized within what they were used to within what they had practiced within procedure in order then to lead teams of resources through solutions. I find that very, very, that's a huge takeaway, huge takeaway is pause, pause when you get a catastrophic issue, take a look at your organization, your expertise, get organized. So that's number one. The other thing they did is they broke down the problem. Remember the council again, that was a plethora of different problems. Each problem was then assigned and broken up into sub problems for different teams of resources to solve and that's just amazing, amazing organization. They did it unbelievably quickly. And again, it was based on existing protocol, existing procedure that was already in place. They just had to now execute. So it's very interesting. The leadership role was to make decisions in the movie. This is exemplified when an engineer brings up an idea in the program director, whatever that role is at the time moves to the next person. You can see the particular engineer feel a little bit bad about that moment, but then they get right back into it and they just roll forward. And I think, although these guys didn't bring up those kind of decisions, they found really kind of a calm in the fact that this was being handled, that they knew their role. They were gonna do their very best on their role. Remember the credo, don't ever, ever, ever quit. They were gonna get it done and then they were gonna cycle back around and help until the mission was accomplished. And I find that another really quite good takeaway. Roles, roles as a takeaway. So the depth chart player at NASA are in the support rooms, maybe not even in the organization, They're a vendor supporting the support rooms. Everybody fell into their role, understood the hierarchy, and got it done. So, understand your role, train for the role, and then they validated competence through simulation. We got to remember that in our organizations. This is such a rich case to discuss for management science. I really highly recommend that you go watch this roughly hour and a half video and think of it in terms of management science. Try to read between the lines, understand the consequences, and I think you'll find it a really nice add on to this. I came up with a little acronym that these guys really exemplified in their management process, and it's five A's, five steps. First step, assess. Second step, aggregate. Third step, align. Fourth step, assign. Fifth step, act. So let's talk about those a little bit more. They didn't say this. This is my summary of what I saw in there. And I think it's really good to get this 5A acronym when we're faced with a lot of pressure. Because we want to jump right to a conclusion. And that's one thing that NASA did so well is they pulled in their resources and they got it right. And they got it right in the amount of time that they had. So when we assess, that's really what is the problem. Mr. Reeves, Moon, and Stobel all talked about how management didn't get stuck in a compartmentalized view of the problem. They saw the whole problem and they worked to see the whole problem. Remember, they took time as oxygen was flying out of the spacecraft. So in other words, ships really hitting the fan in order to assess and understand the problem. At that point, then they start to align resources. They break down the problem as part of the alignment, and then they aggregate around those specific areas. They push the right resources and teams where they need to go, and then they assign responsibility through that process. They are aligning competence with capability in a process that they already in existence to solve these kind of problems which they had run that process over and over many, many times in their simulations. I find that just unbelievably instructional for us in the professional sectors. And then they act. So act is last. I mean, when it's catastrophic, aren't you very interested in really getting rock, (laughs) really getting rocking and rolling and getting things moving? I mean- You are, I just find this fascinating. So I want you to take that away. And remember, these five A's is already inside a process that they had used to adapt so many times before and they ran their process. Now, I don't know if these words are in theirs, but this is a takeaway that I think we all can use. Again, it's the five A uh, Apollo 13 process. So number one, assess the problem the big picture, understand the entire problem. Take time to do that. Listen, understand, assess, get the data. Number two, aggregate the problem. In other words, really it's the data. What are the data? Can I get pictures? Can I get inputs? Uh, What's happening in real time? They did talk about that is they had the operators in the control room trying to work the problem in real time in the best they could as the support groups were doing what we're talking about here. They were doing their version that they could in real time, and it was happening in the support groups around them. So aggregate the problem. In other words, what resources do I have? That's where we're thinking about starting to match capability to competence in my organization and with my vendors. Then align. Align is the step where we actually do that, we might change teams. Remember they had two shifts in at once. They literally had everybody there. I'm sure there was duplicate roles that were there. They had the beautiful ability then to have duplicate roles to assign to multiple problem sets. Boy, that's a little bit of a management science instructional issue for us too. Wouldn't it be nice to have duplicates of our skill sets They're very much the same in what they do, but we can apply them to different problems. That gives you some idea of what that aggregate is. And then the assignment. The assignment, the big difference is the result was clear. The results were cause and effect chains. Think of a bill of material if you're an industrial engineer. Every one of you out there has gotten directions to a bookshelf like these with the blown apart diagram showing where the screws goes and such. That's how these problems were. They had to solve problems along the way. So they would assign problems to teams, solve those problems, and then move on to the next one. And then of course, the act of solving the problem. Once the problem solved on paper, then you have to actually implement it. So that's a whole nother thing. So again, it was really clear. And that then was embedded in on the fly adjustments to their rules. Some of the rules didn't work anymore. Some of their procedures didn't fit this situation. To quote one of the three gentlemen, Reeves, Moon, or Strobel, they said, we could not imagine our sim guys, our sim team, throwing this kind of event at us. And so they hadn't really seen this kind of event, but they had seen combo events before that were very frustrating that prepared them for this. They also discussed their ability to... Stay cool under pressure. They were asked about that. And every one of them went back to SIM. The stress was in the SIM. I didn't wanna fail. It was about never quitting, never quitting, never quitting, getting it right. And if you didn't get it right, I'm sure there's a bunch of procedure and extra work to rewrite the rules and procedures in the protocol for when whatever they're talking about happened again. And I know that's the same way with my team, when something happens and I say, I'd really like you to go update that training module. I'm a fairly small company. Now you have to have managers go follow up on that because everybody's busy. It's above and beyond the normal course of the day to go update the training module. So the next resource that has to get through that. But again, we double as the procedure. It's very important to capture the procedure. The other thing is they ask them about how do they get this attitude? And it came out that they recruit for the attitude But again, one of the gentlemen said, the minute after you arrive, this credo of never quit happens. In the training, it's never quit. In the sim, it's never quit. It's a huge part of the NASA culture in 1970 in the Apollo program. And the way their support systems, everybody's just going to work the problem. They keep using that phrase. We just kept working the problem. We get done with one problem and we go on to the next problem. In the recent Mars film with Matt Damon, you hear that a ton. I just kept working the problem. One problem, solve it, move on to the next one. What's so impressive is the discipline that comes out in order to understand clearly that the problem you're working on now needs to be solved in order to set yourself up for solving the next problem. That's not necessarily a crystal clear thing in management science, in running organizations, and trying to get a startup going. But the discipline in the message is get something done now, make your best shot through the five A's when you've assessed, aggregated, aligned, and assigned the problem before you act. You've made the decision that this piece needs to be solved before you go on. And that takes discipline, And you gain that confidence through your practice. I can't say enough about deliberate practice in professional management and being a fit professional. If your company is not supporting this or you don't have the resources, there's just a tremendous amount you can do on your own. You can get business books. You can take online seminars. Uh, Now with recording podcasts on Zoom, you can actually practice talking about it too and watch yourself and go back and see just how you were able to perform on that particular aspect. Again, a bunch of takeaways from what we've learned today, but before we think about summarizing those, I really believe the NASA Apollo 13 successful failure is based on profound organizational alignment. The alignment goes deep, way beyond each individual. It's in their procedures. We heard about it being in their training. They execute on it. And then it's based on a value system that drives everybody. They have unbelievable goals that they want to be a part of. Space travel, saving human lives, making humanity better. All the things that NASA is for and does motivates them as an individual to take the steps they need to fit into the mission. And there's also this profound realization of their role and being more than okay with that role. And I would love to work toward trying to understand more about that in the NASA of, of yesterday and of today, try to understand if there's any other principles we can pull out to try on in our organizations to see if they fit alignment and people. It's the classic sports analogy. If I'm a high school football player and I have the talent to go division one and Nick Saban's calling me from Alabama, you know, in 2020, 2021, 22, when this was recorded, he's still alive and active down there doing a great job. You're going to one of the best programs in the country. This individual football player it's highly unlikely. They're going to say, no, I think I'll go play baseball at Northwestern. It just doesn't happen that much. It's certainly there's exceptions to every rule and we can probably come up with a story or two uh, on multi-sport athlete, but our careers are like this. You go to play football. That's your chosen career and, and football is the industry. So you choose an industry. You have a position. That's your career. You have the company. That's the Alabama team. NASA is like that. Aerospace, NASA. And then where do I fit? There's just no question in these people's minds. I think the vast majority, upper 90%, if you actually pull them into an the internal survey, uh, that's my hypothesis. I think there's just going to be very, very few people, one or two out of a hundred that don't think they fit where they need to be. Maybe they have some animosity of getting passed over, but it sounds like in a culture like NASA's where we don't quit, you just double down on, on working on your knowledge, skills, and disciplines to move yourself forward. I think it's highly motivating to understand exactly how this went down. In summarizing again, we want to talk about alignment of key parts of an organization. So the actual organizational structure needs to be aligned with the procedure needs to be aligned with the training needs to be aligned with the people in the organization needs to be aligned with the mission needs to be aligned. And then that needs to be actually deliberately practiced through simulation to take variables out. Through that process, we reduce risk of any other outcome than what we want, which is exactly what Mr. Reeves, Moon, and Stovall talked about. Their, Their sims reduce risk in the mission. So the missions were actually more comfortable than the sims. That's an interesting takeaway too. make your deliberate practice tougher than the actual operational requirement of the employer, or the team, or what you're going to be working on. The other one is the iterative nature of using your practice, your deliberate practice in your simulations to force failure. Keep pushing it until you find a failure. When that failure does show up, then you need to regroup and capture the new rule the new procedure, and then again test it through more deliberate practice and simulation. This is actually a little wheel of procedure that you can use in different places in your organization and also overall in your organization. Then we got into management. We talked about management and some management science we can take away from this Apollo 13 issue. And that includes management The way they hire two top things were exemplified by the Apollo 13 case with Mr. Reeves, Moon, and Stubble in that they would hire with personal understanding of the individual's capacity to survive in some environment that was reasonably close to what they would face later. Secondly, if they were not able to do that, they would double down on the competence, get this person down their initial learning curves and training modules, and then get them into simulated roles rigorously to the tune that not everybody could make it. They also had a catch for those that did wash out in the more high profile, high stress, high accountable and consequence jobs to go work on support teams and work on their expertise to support the system. They also had an unbelievable culture. The credo, it was talked about as we never quit. You don't quit. You just keep trying and trying. You repeat till you get it right. Was burned in to new hires from the first minute they arrived. And it makes sense in the sim. You can't walk away from the sim and say fail. You got to walk away from the sim with some plan of action and to push yourself and to pull on resources to pull that in is is really a good takeaway. Another takeaway is everybody knew you could listen to the conversations in control for a support team with other support teams whatever was relevant to what you were doing as a member and you could interject input at any time you could disagree you could suggest alternatives but not ad hoc not in today's kind of modern off-the-cuff collaboration that sometimes can run amok in organizations. It was grounded in rules and protocol in order to bring what they needed to the top in order to move on to solve that particular decision. Also, the ability for management to understand the expectation in this performance standard for everybody on every support team and be able to then vet the right person through actual trial that was rigorous enough so some percentage could make it. I think that's profound. And if we can figure out how to bring that alone into our organizations, we're gonna produce superstars that are gonna get great, great results. Then the hierarchy, the hierarchy was alive and real and there was ultimate decision makers decision makers as team leaders, decision makers even as individuals in specific roles, individuals on the control floor, and then the flight director, or however they were, as decisions needed to be made, recommendations would come out, and someone would make the decision, everybody would take it, and they would move forward. Uh, That's really powerful if you can work that into your organizations. And of course, athletic uh, analogies are very similar. It's As though the play comes in from the sideline, quarterback calls the play, everybody knows the role and they go execute it. How many of us are in situations where the drift of what professionalism is as a definition challenges hierarchy in a way that actually stagnates organization? So certainly there's a compromise and a trade-off here, but in the case of Apollo 13, you might actually take a look at hierarchy, having a bigger role in what you're doing. Leadership also succumbs to procedure. And that's interesting leadership. I'll be covering that in many different resources through the fit one.com resource and others, but leadership for this particular circumstance was to make those decisions in the assess, aggregate, align, assign, and act, and then facilitate support and communication through teams. And then to make decisions when decisions needed to be made that didn't fit somehow in the procedure that was in front of them. Those are excellent takeaways. And I continue to find this case just phenomenal. And I think it touches on all aspects of management, science, and organizations. Essentially, having a new mission within a mission. Again, that's a leadership role. It kind of came into this particular podcast as assumed the mission was to go to the moon. And then that, through a catastrophic event, morphed into Save the Astronauts. So I didn't really talk about mission. I want to talk about mission. In other podcasts, significantly, and how it relates to leadership, because I'm a firm believer, and I think the Apollo 13 exemplifies this: that you have to have a mission first, and you can assign accountability, and then an individual can lead on that accountability subset, if you will. But leadership has to be organized, and it's got to be in a bit of a hierarchy. If NASA would have had multiple flight directors, constantly collaborating, it's possible they wouldn't have had the solutions they did. Maybe there's scenarios where that works. I'm just saying, try that on. Try that on and see if you can use organization, procedure, and hierarchy to help hasten and increase quality of actions, which ultimately are decisions. If you can make it automatic, it's going to be a quicker turnaround to whatever the issue of the day is. So we'll get into much more on mission later. But that was impressive. The way Mr. Reeves, Stovall, and Moon talked about the transformation of the mission. In fact, at one point, I believe it might've been Mr. Moon actually referenced the actual thought process to say, okay, I'm not on the moon mission, the moon landing mission anymore. My mission has changed. And here's what it is. And then personally assessing what you need to bring from your expertise and competence in order to contribute. And of course, the leaders really understood what each of their team members could do and got them in the right roles. And uh, there was a willingness to do this. And it was established again through the sim. All right. I hope you enjoyed this. I sure hope that there was something Taking a a little bit of a look at the case from a management science perspective of Apollo 13 for you to try on or think about at your organization. And again, my disclaimer is these are observations I pulled out of some fairly high level research and in listening to interviews of some people that were directly on site bringing those astronauts home. And that's the fun of management. It's being able to learn from this and see if we can implement something in our organization to make it better. So, thank you. Thank you for being here. Please share this with other people you think might be interested. If you liked it, I'd appreciate a thumbs up. Otherwise, I hope that you kick butt, have a great day, rock on out there. You can always find me at the website, one.com. That's all one word with a numeral one at the end. And my email is paul at Please shoot me an email. Let me know what you think. I'd love to hear what else you'd like to hear. Even how to do a further deep dive into this management science. I will be putting out a blog on the 5A management a catastrophic quick assessment tool that I believe I was able to commandeer the NASA example. And uh, certainly it needs enhancements. And while I'm working on that, I'll fill in the blanks. We didn't hear today, but I sure hope you enjoyed it. Hey, so I encourage you to go out and go to the spacecenter.org and you will find the video called Apollo 13 innovation in a time of crisis. And it's about an hour and a half long. It's those three gentlemen that were on site helping solve that problem and clearly making success out of the failure. So have a great day until next time. Get after it. Call me up if you need help. Let's get to work.